Turn with me to John chapter 15. If you're visiting with us or haven't been here in a while, we're going through what we now, uh, we've been referencing as the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, we are in the book of John in our Only Believe series. And so we're going to start a new chapter today, John chapter 15. If your Bibles are open, and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. Uh, first verse of John chapter 15. I'm just reading the first uh, four verses, and then we'll cover um, uh, verses uh, 5 through 8 next Sunday before uh, David's testimony. So verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the worship we've already had to praise you in song. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for just the presence of your spirit. We thank you that these are your red letter words, Jesus. You spoke these to the disciples and you are speaking them right now to us. We pray, Lord, that we would have attentive ears, we'd have soft hearts, Lord, we'd have teachable minds and spirits, where, Lord, that you would pinpoint areas that need to be pruned in us, things that we need to yield. Lord, I pray that you would give me your presence, your power, I pray you'd give me your anointing, your strength, your peace, your wisdom, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you are teaching me as I teach your people, and Lord, we all need to hear from you, our rabbi, our shepherd, our savior this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus had just finished telling the disciples that he is leaving to go back to the Father, where he'll be, be preparing a place for them among his Father's many mansions. And he's told them that he alone is the way, the truth, the life. And that nobody comes to the Father but by and through him. He's told them that if they have seen him, and of course they have seen him, they have seen the Father. He's told them if they pray and ask in his holy name that he will answer. And that just like his own life, they too would do the works of God. And that as they do the works of God, as you and I do the works of God, the Father is glorified. He's promised to send them another helper. He was the first helper. But he's promised to send them another helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, who will not just be with them, but will take residence in them. He made clear that the world cannot and will not see the Holy Spirit. But those who have been saved by faith, we will see the Spirit, not physically, but we'll see the internal evidence by the Spirit. Jesus reiterated three times, and then he expounded on it, that the proof of loving him is what? To keep his commandments. That's the proof. And just as he had kept the Father's commandments, he's asking us to keep his commandments. In fact, Jesus made clear that his love and the revelation of him that deeper understanding of him, that deeper communion with him, that growing faith is made manifest through obedience. He said that once he had left, the Spirit would remind them, the Spirit would teach them, and build upon all the things that Jesus had already said, already taught. It would be line upon line, precept upon precept, that the Spirit would remind them of these things. And he said that the same Spirit was going to give them peace. Does anyone here want peace today? Amen. We all do. And he would allow, by the work of the Spirit, that their hearts wouldn't be troubled by a very troubling world. Not, has, not much has changed. We still have a troubling world, right? And he said, all these things, when they start to come to pass, and they would come to pass, then you'll believe the words that I told you even more. Because you'll know, I've told you ahead of time, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. 
And these mostly never heard before, because here in this upper room discourse, Jesus says some things that they'd never heard before, and we haven't even seen in the scriptures prior these words of it that came with words of encouragement, with comfort, with promises, and a future revelation that Jesus would, would show them after the resurrection. But all this had started with him at first getting down and washing their feet. It all started with him getting down and as a servant and as their loving shepherd washing their feet. And after all of this, because that's 13, chapter 14, brings us to the end of chapter 14 because we're starting 15 today. After all this, the cross and Jesus' suffering is closing in. It's getting closer by the second and he tells his disciples there at the end of chapter 14, and going back, because we had Bill James last week, I'm just kind of re-kind of stitching together chapter 13 and 14 to set the stage of where we're at. He tells the disciples at the end of chapter 14, Arise, let us go from here. As they'll be now leaving the upper room to go out of the city gates, down into the Kidron Valley, to the Garden of Gethsemane. But it appears that there's a lingering that takes place. Perhaps Jesus sensing the disciples need a little more time. I, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. You've all been there. You're at the restaurant. You're about to leave. Let's leave. 45 minutes later, you're still there. Your coffee's ice cold. The waitress has given up on you, and you are still there. And I used to be in rest, and I used to wait tables when I was in college, and I'm like, they're still there. They're campers. We need them out of here. I need to make a hundred bucks tonight. I'm only going to stay at 50 if this group doesn't leave. I'm here to tell y'all, don't stay forever. For people that are making tips, they might like you, but only to the point where you've signed the check, they want you out. This, that's free bonus material for all of you. I'm telling you, they want you out. Especially if it's late and they want to go home. All right. That had nothing to do with it. But it does, the, the lingering part, it does. But whether they stay here a little bit longer, because some, some theologians have said that they, they stand and Jesus does the next two chapters, that he does chapter uh, 15 and 16, standing up, and Jesus does a standing message to them. Some scholars said, no, no. He actually does it as they walk all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't believe that's possible. Look at chapter 18 real quick. Be Bible scholars for a second. Look at chapter 18. Comes after chapter 17. Uh, so, so you have chapter 15, 16, 17 in between here. And then it says in chapter 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with the disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden. So it's pretty clear they do not leave the upper room. Even when he said, arise, let's go, is my own view of it. I mean, many people share the same view that they do linger, and I don't even believe they stood up. I believe that they were still in a reclining position. They had become comfortable in the setting. They were still digesting what Jesus said, and he knew all that. He knew that they weren't ready to go, and he also knew he had chapter 15 and 16 still to teach. But he was preparing them that they would be getting up very soon, and so that's where we're at. If you're taking notes, you see the title, The Fruit of Abiding Jesus is the vine. Now, understand that um, as, they, um, as they are sitting there, when we look at this chapter 15, uh, there's not, in the, in the scriptures, there's not a break between chapters. When John wrote this, he did not write chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It wasn't even in book form. It was a scroll. And in Hebrew, you're, write, you're writing left to right. You read, I mean, you're reading right to left. And so he's writing out the scroll, and there's no chapter breaks. And some places in the Bible where there are chapter breaks, and there are places that don't even make the most sense to me, uh, because sometimes they break in a certain spot, and you're like, that's a continue. The story just keeps going. So, but this is a natural break, because he said, of a rise and go, there's this pause where nobody moves. Jesus knows they're not going to move, and he knows he's still going to share chapter 15 and 16. Uh, and so it's a natural break. And those of you that uh, are older, you remember the days when movies were really long, there was an intermission. 
Like the sound of music, I was, I didn't see the sound of music until it was like out of the theaters and it was ABC Saturday night special on Saturday, on Saturday night. And you know, that thing comes on and you're like popcorn and everything. But so some of you that went to the movies back in the day when they had the intermission and you'd have this like marathon movie and this break in the middle, this is like the break, the intermission of chapter 14 to 15. And chapter 15 is almost like the upper room discourse part two, the second half of the discourse. So with all that, it's noteworthy. Look back at verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's noteworthy that the gods of other religions are typically really distant. They're far removed from the worshipers. I mean, they inhabit the constellations, they're Jupiter, they're Zeus, they're way up there, they're big and powerful, they step on people like ants. And of course we know that the gods that people worship aren't gods at all. Paul said they're, they're nothing. They're made up. And I know there's a demonic force behind them, but they're created and set up by men. Some of the pagan gods in ancient times even received human sacrifice, sacrificing their children to, to gods, but the true and living God came as a human sacrifice. That's a big difference, isn't it? Instead of offering your uh, bodies as some kind of sacrifice or your children, no, Jesus said, no, I'm coming as a blood sacrifice. And rather than sitting in the planets and the constellations, Jesus descended from the heaven of heavens, and he walked among the very human beings he created out of the dust of the earth. But to those that believe in him, he comes even closer than just walking the earth. He places his literal spirit within us and places us in him. We literally, though it's spiritually, but let me remind you, spiritually is literally the things that are not seen are even more real. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but he's way more real than anything you can see. Amen? Amen. Someday you will see the presence of God in heaven. You'll know that the unseen world, you can't see angels, but they are all over the universe, and they're more powerful than any army. So unseen is still literal. It's just not seen to us yet. But we are placed literally by the Spirit the Spirit places Himself in us, and then we're placed into Christ's body. That's why we're called the body of Christ, who is the Son of God. But He's also God the Father. And we understand that there's all these things that are beyond our real comprehension, but, but we get an inkling of what it all means. And it's the depth of love and relationship that Jesus has both purposed and purchased. Because if God just purposed it but didn't purchase it, then we still have a major problem, right? No salvation. But he both purposed it and purchased it on our behalf. So with the opening of John chapter 15, Jesus will now detail the nature of their new relationship, them being the disciples there in the upper room, the nature of their relationship with him, who is not a distant God, not a faraway God, but is the Savior that lives within them, the shepherd that will help them to grow, and he's placed the disciples and us into himself. And as we recognize our new life and we remain in it, we'll see the works of God come forth in our life. You can't make the words of God, works of God happen in your life. You receive from God that they would produce in you. It would be like, I mean, basically what, what God can do, you know, and we see this in the Old Testament. Remember Aaron's rod? Aaron's rod was not planted in the ground, and it would keep budding almonds. Like, it would be like literally this pulpit, all of a sudden branches start popping out of it and fruit growing out of it. That was a testament with Aaron's rod that only God can make anything grow. Amen? And it stayed that way in the Ark of the Covenant because it was proof that God could take a wooden stick and turn it into life. But that doesn't happen normally, right? It ha it's only if God breathes life into it. So all of that kind of is a little backdrop.
Um, let's look at verse 1. Again, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Of the 21 chapters in the book of John, this is the only chapter that begins with the words, I am. This is the only one. And it's a natural break from the previous chapter where there's pause. It's a pause of Jesus, in my view, he's standing there, notices that no one's gotten up. He knows there's going to be the pause, and he says, I am. And although there were no chapter breaks, this, as I said, this natural break, this moves into this second discourse. If you've been studying with us in the book of John, you know that the two words, I am, right beside one another, are significant not only to the self-sustaining sovereignty of Jesus, just like God told Moses to say, I am that I am. The I am has sent me or sent you. Uh, but they proceed every time we see I am in these seven I am statements of Jesus, they always precede one of the unique names of Jesus. And if you've been keeping track, we've covered six of the seven I am statements. This makes the seventh of the seven I am statements, the seventh and last of the I am statements, spoken here just hours before the cross, which we know is by the divine will of God. This is not some kind of coincidental timing. We know it's by the will of God, and we know it's in concert with Jesus promising that the helper would come, because without the helper, you can't abide. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you could not abide. So he's promising that the helper is coming. And Jesus says here, not only that he's the vine, but he says, I am the true vine. Your Bible should all say that in verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. The temple at the time of Christ was one of the most amazing ancient wonders of the world. I mean, people coming towards it, they see this massive Jerusalem stone structure with the temple itself made of pure white marble and the gold trim and the columns and just, just amazing. The historian Josephus tells us that among all the splendor of the temple... There was also a golden grapevine that was draped across the temple's entrance, the columns. There was these columns at the temple's entrance. And this golden uh, grapevine made of pure gold uh, was wrapped around the columns. And it was very ornate. And it was extremely expensive because it was pure gold. And beyond that, those people that came that were Jewish that gave extra special offerings over and above their tithes, big, you know, like, this is an impressive gift. They could have their names inscribed into the leaves, etched into the leaves, their names inscribed. Kind of sounds like something you'd see on the television evangelist today, you know? Just send this extra gift in and we will put your name on our altar or something like that. What an honor. I'm kidding. That's not, not an honor. Um, but what it presented was a works-based relationship with God. You do something extra big, you get your name etched on the leaf, on the gold vine with its grape clusters. Add to this that the vine, as a, represent, as a representation of Israel, would have been very familiar to the disciples. For example, in Psalm chapter 80, verses 8 and 9 up on the screen, uh, uh, the scriptures say, <clears throat> you have brought a vine out of Egypt, you have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared a room for it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. So the vine was the nation of Israel. God took the vine out of Egypt, brought the vine out of Egypt, and he thrust it into the ground in the land of Canaan, and Israel became a blooming, fruitful, all the tribes are like the branches and the children and the children's children. And so Israel itself was a vine that God had planted in the land of Canaan. But Jesus is declaring, he says, I'm the true vine, and my father's the vine dresser. Jesus is declaring that he is the lifeblood. It's not a nation. It's not works. No nation has life in and of itself. Neither does a soul. 
The church also has no life unless it's rooted in Christ. Calvary Chapel Richmond, we are as dead as a doornail if we're not rooted in Christ. That's why we're never going away from the scriptures here. We can have churches all around this country that are now, I mean, I rode by a church in Lynchburg. They're flying a big rainbow flag out there. I guarantee they're not preaching the word of God. People want to get away from uh, the scriptures. No, no, we're going to say rooted in Christ, rooted in the gospel. There's no life outside of that. The church has no life without Christ and Jesus. He not only just says he's the vine, he says he's the true vine. And he is. And that means that clearly there are other vines out there that are not true. Amen? There's other vines. He said, I'm the true vine. That means there's some other vines. And the Father is not the vine dresser of those other vines. Only of the true vine. The vines of other religions, other gods, other idols are all untrue and they are worthless. A false vine can't help you any more than a false god. And they're one and the same. Now, the Pharisees, they were obsessed with the law of Moses, weren't they? Problem is, they weren't obsessed with the God of Moses. They were obsessed with the law of Moses. They were adamant regarding all the ceremonial aspects of law. The tassel had to be just right. Hey, we walk, if we're going to walk this far on the Sabbath, tie a rope to ourselves so we can walk some extra feet. I don't know where they got that idea that that wouldn't count as steps. Because there was a certain distance you could walk. They came up with all these kind of crazy things. But they added their own traditions of men. And they neglected the, the not visible, unseen things of the heart. The things like lying, hatred, pride, lust. And they rejected Christ even though they loved the law. They didn't care about the law that Jesus cared about. And Jesus was like, you know, where, why would you not want to help your neighbor? Why would you not love them? And they rejected the lawgiver himself. Jesus is not only the son of God, but he's also the lawgiver. And so the Pharisees, some of the re religious leaders that wanted to kill Jesus, in fact, were hours away from doing so. They had parts of the true vine, because the law is from God. They had parts of the true vine. But they were also, ultimately, they had fastened themselves to a false vine of their own making. Because the true vine is 100% true. And the Father prunes his own, those who are born of his Son and those who are in his Son. The Father loves the sheep that belong to the Good Shepherd. He will welcome those that come through the door, those that entered by the way the truth, the life. And no one can come to the Father by any other route. And like the previous other six names and titles of Jesus, each one symbolizes his revelation to the world, his deity, his uniqueness. No one else had ever called themselves bread. I've talked about this before. No one else said, I am the bread of life. No one else would think of it. But he cared for his own. And these first six names, they're exclusive to Jesus because, like this last one, he is the only true vine. There's not another true vine. Look at verse 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Jesus turns the focus to the branches. Those of us born in him and those of us that are growing in him. And it's impossible to miss the first point. Jesus wants the disciples and all of us to be in him and growing. But not only growing. He wants us to bear fruit. Fruit that is visible. And benefits others. A branch doesn't eat its own fruit. It's profit to the vine dresser. And it's beneficial to other people. In the Old Testament, 
in the Old Covenant, God was the vine dresser that cultivated Israel. And the New Testament, the New Covenant, he cultivates us. The believers in Christ. And when it comes to pruning, it is absolutely necessary to prune. Dr. Henry Moore said this, he said, left to itself, a vine will produce a good deal of unproductive growth. For maximum fruitfulness, extensive pruning is essential. Pruning not only gets rid of unproductive growth, but it aids in the process of fruit bearing. Can you imagine you go to a, um, a peach orchard down in Georgia. They grow a lot of uh, peach trees in Georgia and South Carolina. And someone has the most magnificent looking orchard. All oh, the trees are beautiful. The only problem is they bear no peaches. So they want to, they want to contract with uh, Kroger, or they want to contract with Publix, or they want to contract with Food Lion. Say, so we've, got, we've got a massive orchard. It's got more trees than anyone in the state. Great. How are we doing with peaches? Well, it doesn't grow any peaches. But it's a magnificent orchard. Just doesn't grow any peaches. It's pointless. It's not fulfilling the, the whole reason that that tree exists is to produce fruit. And God wants us to produce fruit, and it requires pruning. I was telling the first service, you know, um, even pruning, uh, those of us who still have hair, sorry some of you guys that don't grow hair anymore, uh, uh, and some of you that are, COVID's cotton, causing hair issues and all kinds of stuff, but for those that still have hair, like I still, my head needs to be pruned. I need a haircut, or... I would end up like, there was a show in the 70s called Welcome Back, Cotter. And everyone looked like a Chia pet in the show. Like, um, everyone, you know, uh, the, whole, the whole cast had a fro. You know, everybody did. And uh, so now we've learned years later to prune that back a little bit. Although I think it's come back here and there, but, but to prune it back a little bit. And, and your, your follicles get healthier and all that stuff. Now, we don't grow fruit in our hair, thankfully, or anything like that. But... Um, but nevertheless, I mean, uh, cutting is all, there's just things like your fingernails need it, right? I don't mean, to, even your toenails, even though you want to think about that. Everything needs cutting back. And then they don't bear fruit, but, it, but there's problematic things. I mean, you have germs grow under there and you have all kinds of things. And, you know, I know that people have nails, you got to wash all that stuff. But there's just all of these reasons that God gives. But when it comes to fruit trees, when it comes to, um, you know, if you're going to be working with an or uh, orchard or grapevines, um, anything that's fr uh, fruit-bearing plants, you have to prune for many other reasons. There can be dead wood that harbors disease and decay. You ever seen a branch that on the surface looks the same as the other branch, but then when you go to uh, bend it, it's not bendable. It's just brittle. And the bark's still on there and everything, but you find out, well, there's something, something's eating at that wood. And if you leave it there, it'll contaminate other parts of the tree, other parts of the branches. So the vine dresser will cut them out where there's harboring potentially disease or decay. Now we know that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Or the same word means disciplines. And that disciplining is part of a larger work of pruning. So you have pruning, which includes chastening and disciplining, perfecting, all the same mindset, and which is always for our good. And by the way, it can happen in any season. You can be cruising along, serving the Lord like you never have before. There was a man in the Bible named Job. Closer to God, as best we could tell, than anyone on earth, you would think, if anyone's not going to be pruned, it's going to be Job. <clears throat> but... He said, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. You mean when I'm bearing fruit, when I'm actually finally doing some of the things God told me to do, then he's going to prune me more? Yes. I thought that when I hit, I don't know, this level, that the pruning ends. No, that's when it begins. So it can happen in any season of our life. And will continue to happen in season. So he prunes in our rough season. He prunes when we're being fruitful. You know, he wouldn't prune me if I won three people to Christ this year. Yes, he would. 
So maybe six, or maybe, maybe it's a different word. Maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just something he wanting to perfect as far as the conforming us to the image of Christ. But understand that the, the Father will prune us and his church individually and collectively and, and by his own... So, he does, how does he do the pr- pruning? Well, sometimes he does it via circumstance. You ever have things come your way and you're like, how in the world did this happen? Like God didn't know about it or something, right? <laughs> I had everything lined up. This should not have gone wrong. Right, right. We were riding, uh, we were riding to um, the uh, off-site, me and my wife, and I'm driving down, um, heading out, like you're going th- through Amelia County, and I told the people there, I mean, we almost didn't make it there alive, for real. Like I'm coming up to this light, and I'm going about... 40, and it's green for me, solid green. But I knew that the other turning lane coming through had a blinking yellow. First car goes through. I'm like, why in the world did that car go through? That made no sense. There was not, they went, they cut it way too close. I said, surely the car behind them won't do this. No way will the car behind them. It would happen to be a massive diesel pickup truck. I said, surely that car, that truck would not do it. But my mind said, but I know people. Surely they could do it. So I was on alert, and sure enough, they come out, and I missed them by, my wife can tell you, I did this like NASCAR-looking thing that um, (laughs) I slammed on the brake, car shifted, I went around, I weaved between three cars, and nearly we would have been killed, probably. And you know that God allowed it, and I was then really ticked off at the driver. (laughs) I was not in the spirit for the next five minutes. Like, why in the world? Why in the world? My wife's like, you can't change the path. Yeah, you, know, you, you can't stop it. It already happened. You know, you're going to have to just pray. And so I start praying and like, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? I mean, I'm, I'm, I should be just glad to be alive at that point. But I was just, then I was moving to, my alignment's probably up. This might mess with the brakes. You know, I start thinking about all the other stuff. And all that, he's pruning our character. Amen. And then we start praying for those people, which it wasn't easy for me at first. I didn't want to pray for them. I wanted to pray that their license would be revoked immediately. And it was a Department of Transportation truck. That was the worst. Wasn't it? It was a DOT truck. I'm like, but he was just chatting with a friend and not even paying the slightest bit of attention. I mean, it would have been bad. But God allows little things, big things. And always his, he uses sovereign circumstances. Or he'll use the leading of his spirit to just to speak to you, that still small voice of the spirit. He'll use a verse. He'll use some pastor you heard on the radio. He might use this message today. He might use one next week. But he will say, this needs to be pruned from your life. Mm-hmm. You know, speak to us that way. And the Lord is going to remove things in us. He's going to remove things in his bride, which is the church. Not just Calvary Chapel, but all of the bride, which includes brothers and sisters and other denominations and such, but um, anything that's in us or anything that's in a local fellowship that's unhealthy, that's harmful. Remember Hebrews 12 says, laying aside every sin and weight, not just sin. Some things are not necessarily sin, but they're a weight for you, and they might not be a weight for somebody else. It's not a sin to have uh, alcohol, but some people should never touch it again the rest of their life. I really believe that. Like alcohol does not. I am not. I've never had any addiction to that kind of stuff. I could take it or leave it my whole life. I've never like needed alcohol. Now I'm not. I'm not putting down people that have had to battle that. I'm simply saying that's not been something I've had. But over the last several years, my wife felt convicted. Don't even touch it. Not because we don't. If if someone else wants a glass of wine or something, we don't think it's a sin. We just don't have any. The Lord just said no. So for whatever reason, that's just a personal conviction. I don't throw it on everybody else. But some people shouldn't go near the stuff. Right? right. right? So God will prune what he speaks to any individual. And so anything that's going to cause harm is going to lead to a fruitless condition. Our branches that no longer bear fruit, he's going to remove those things and by the way, there are a few different views of this um, in, chat, in this verse 2 where it says, he takes away. Uh, this word away, uh, the word in the Greek is iro, uh, iro in the Greek. And it, it means um, to remove, but it also simultaneously means to lift up or take up. 
And in the ancient times, it was common for when the vine branches were laying on the ground, if they were laying on the ground, they wouldn't bear fruit. So they had to be lifted up and staked to something. Does that make sense? So if the vine is on the it just wouldn't grow fruit if it was laying on the ground. But as soon as you lift it up and get it staked to something, then it would start to bear fruit. And there are teachers and scholars that believe that Jesus is saying here that those that are abiding in him, because it does say every branch in me, uh, that those that are abiding in Jesus, those that are abiding in him, Jesus is, in, but they're not bearing fruit at the time, that Jesus is going to intervene and ensure that they bear fruit. He's going to pick them up and bind them so they will bear fruit. And I believe that, that we certainly see that. I've seen that in my own life. I know there's things Jesus has literally done in me that I would not have done on my own accord. I just wouldn't have had the wherewithal to do it. So there's, there's that view. There's some that view this passage that um, those that remain in him but don't bear fruit and continue to not bear fruit and continue to not bear fruit and continue to not bear fruit, that he perhaps may remove prematurely and take them up into heaven and remove them altogether out of this earth because they are being unfruitful but perhaps are in him. There's a passage that supports this. For example, in 1 Corinthians 11, 30, 31, for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we had judged ourselves, we would not be judged. We know sleep is really applied to the believer, not the non-believer. Sleep is a is a term when you die, the believer, we sleep until the, resur- the sec- until the resurrection of Jesus gathering all of his own to himself. So it's called sleep. Our soul is immediately in heaven with the Father. Uh, the body sleeps, not the soul. The body sleeps and the soul is with the Lord. That's why Paul said to be absent with the body, is to be present with the Lord. But it would be possible that some, God says, all right, I've given you many chances to get and root this out and I'm going to take you home early. That So there's that view. And then lastly, there's this view that the unfruitful branches were never in Christ like Judas. Judas was removed from the room. That's why we have the rest of the upper room discourse is with only believers that Judas himself is a branch, if you will, removed from the room and that some people look like branches that are going to bear fruit, but they're never in Christ in the first place. So... What is my view? Well, once again, I'd propose that all three of these views are in Scripture. And that only Jesus knows which is which. Amen? Amen. So it's really not up to us to say, I don't think they were ever saved, or, or I think they might, they're going to bear fruit someday. Or, you know, uh, Jesus says, look, let the wheat and the tares grow together. Right, right. And in the end, I will separate each from the other. So now, we, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. I mean, if the fruit is like, you know, they can't stop being, you know, I don't know, they can't stop abusing their wife or something like that, and it goes on and on and on. I mean, that's a fruit of a non-believer. That's not someone that really knows the Lord, at least the best we can tell. But I would view that all, I would propose that all these views are in view, and I'd say that there are absolutely born-again believers that take longer to bear fruit than others do but they eventually will bear fruit. I've seen three people get saved at the same time, and one looks like nearly John the Baptist in a month, and the other two are still with baby bottles, you know, and they just, they don't grow at the same rate. Those of you who have kids, you know your kids don't do everything the same. One is walking at nine months, and the other one is two years like, you can do it. You, two years later, no, I like crawling, you know. I, I, it's great. It's great. It feels fun. I'm a dog or whatever else, you know. You can do this. You know, you can't be in pull-ups till high school. You've got to get the, the potty train thing's got to happen, you know, that kind of thing. So people grow at different rates, so that's in view. Others have been taken home early to the to the Lord, I think, because God just says, all right, uh, that you're coming home early. I, I believe that has, has happened. And then there's others that look the part. They look like a saved person. They act like a saved person. And then they just walk away from faith altogether, never to return, like Judas, like Demas. No one, uh, the, the disciples thought Judas was just as real as they were. 
And Jesus, no, no, he, that branch was never really in me. So all of these, I think, are in view. And I don't know why the Lord does these things where he has multiple ways of saying this. Jesus says one statement and applies to all those different scenarios at the same time. But here's the thing. The only response the Lord is looking for is for us to abide in him. And so real briefly, let's look at verse 3 and 4 to wrap this up. Um, verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus makes it clear that he has done all the work, that he is the one that's made it possible that they or we can abide in the first place. If Jesus doesn't clean us, we can't abide in him. We could never even survive to abide in him. It's nothing of us. It's all of his grace. Uh, going back to the works view of the, hey, I will, will etch your name in the vine or the golden vine there. Back to that works view. Um, I took this quote from David Foster and Brett Burleson's book, uh, Praying Through the Book of John. He said, they say, the key is not impressing God, but rather remaining and abiding in God. You don't make yourself clean before God. He himself has made you clean. Amen? Isn't it great to know that he chose us and cleansed us? We could not cleanse ourselves. I mean, in the physical realm, we're able to go take a shower or a bath. In the spiritual realm, we can't. He has to do the whole thing. Lock, stock, and barrel. He has to be the one that cleans. Jesus says, I've made you clean. You didn't make yourself clean. You couldn't make yourself clean. I've made you clean that you can even abide in me in the first place. Uh, it's not works-based. And then finally, verse 4, uh, he says here, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now back to the only response that Jesus is looking for from his disciples and from us, it's to believe, it's to trust that what he's saying is the only way. Do you believe the only way you can bear fruit is to abide in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe he's the only one that cleansed you? Yes. Do you believe he's the only one that can keep you? Yes. Do you believe that if I obey in his words, even if you say, but not even if I obey him, I still fail, do you believe he still will keep you abiding him if you just do it, even with your mistakes and failures? Yes. Because even a branch that's part of that peach tree has imperfections. Amen? Amen? They're not perfect branches. You can have a tree that's not perfect that still bears fruit. And that's what he is saying. Say, you're going to have to abide in me and you're going to bear fruit. Don't think about how I do it. Just follow the command. Trust in him. He's the only one that can bring forth the fruit. He's the one that can bring forth new desires perseverance that you don't have today, that I don't have today. Spiritual fruit that benefits yourself and benefits others to the glory of God. Outside of Jesus, we're as capable as taking a branch, cutting it off a tree, and throw it on the ground. That only worked with Aaron's, bod, right, uh, Aaron's rod, right? I'm, I'm taking bud and rod and combining for a new word. But anyway, uh, it only worked for Aaron's rod. If you cut off a branch and throw it on the ground, it will be, and it happens all the time in Carter's Mountain. Like someone's up there, and they grab a branch, branch falls down, and then the nasty step-on-it apple that is like, looks like it's mush, and the branch itself withers and dies in a couple of days because the branch only can bear fruit if it's tapped into the trunk, if it's tapped into the vine. And so we are as useless as a branch thrown to the ground unless we abide in Christ. And here's the thing. If you and I believe in Jesus, if we'll rest in him, we will receive from him. Amen? If we will rest in him, we will receive from him. He'll do the producing. He will produce a life and a sweetness that comes out of the dirt. Does it not amaze you that, I'm, go back to peaches for a second, a peach comes from a tree that's eating dirt. How does the dirt go up a wooden trunk and become a peach? Right, right, right. Amazing, huh? Yeah. You couldn't, you could, I say, I'm going to grab a plump of dirt that's the same size as the peach and try that for lunch. <laughs> but that's where the peach came from, and how in the world does it take all the little, I know that biologists have studied these things, but they don't really understand how this works. Right. They, there's a lot they can... It's a miracle that rain goes into the ground, comes up a grapevine, and becomes a grape. 
and had a little skin on the side. And it's just this miracle that God takes dirt and makes a peach and takes us out of our dirty, filthy sin and makes us clean. And all of a sudden we bear fruit. Amen? Amen. The same miracle. What we see in the physical, he's now done with us in the spiritual. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this time in your word. Lord, your words are forever true. And Lord, we need to be reminded to abide in you. For Lord, we can't bear fruit of our own self. But we can if we abide in you because you, by the work of the helper and the spirit, will produce a sweetness, a fruitfulness. And an otherwise unfruitful person like me and everyone else here and those watching online said, Lord, we just thank you that your word is true and we can trust it. And we pray, Lord, that we would even more obey your command to abide in you and see what you do with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once you stand as we close in worship, but when the service ends, if, if you need prayer or have any questions, I know that we have a team that's going to start decorating for Vacation Bible School, but if you have prayer needs or anything that we can talk to you about, or maybe you say, I don't even know the Lord is my Savior, we'll have some folks over here in our prayer corner, but why don't we worship, and I'll come back up and close and dismiss us. deserve the glory. Yes, I did, uh, yes. As we close, uh, I also wanted to say uh, thank you to one of the... Um, Taylor, thank you for leading the Wednesday 
uh, children's ministry curriculum, brand new. We had, uh, I don't know, 20-some, close to 30 people here. And so we're looking forward to that in the fall. But I just want to say thank you for doing that on Wednesday night. That was a, a big deal to kind of start in the summer for stuff we need. Uh, you know, Jesus spoke so many times in agrarian terms. And we plant in the summer for harvesting later in the year. I mean, a lot of times, and then in the, in the, you notice in the Bible, there's no feasts in the summer. The feasts are in the spring. The feasts are in the fall. Because summer is for getting it done time. You know, like it's like getting things ready. And then you uh, have a feast in the fall to celebrate. And there's the kind of, kind of getting things ready or um, dedicating things to the Lord in the spring feast. And then commemorating what God has done in the fall feast. And then even in the summer you know, uh, when it's blazing 97 out there today. And, uh, you know, we are just kind of laboring uh, in these, these months, but um, uh, that God's going to do good things. So thank you for doing that and, and having the children's ministry curriculum. Um, let's see. Ashton, is this your last Sunday with us? Oh, next Sunday. All right, so then I won't say a word then. Right. I, thought, I thought you were gone the 30th for some reason, but 31st. You're here through the 31st. Oh, the, the 1st. Okay, well, I will keep this lodged in my head. So next Sunday, you guys aren't going to want to miss. Again, we'll, I'll do about 20, uh, 20, 25 minutes max on the, the last four verses there to, to ver, up to verse 8, John 15. And then you're not going to want to miss uh, uh, David's testimony. It's powerful. We'll pray over you as you head off. Uh, we'll pray next Sunday as you head off into the U.S. Army. And, um, but uh, just want to close some prayer. And if you have any prayer needs, we've got folks on either side here. And those of you that are staying to help with VBS, thank you in advance. I know the team appreciates you helping. If you didn't have plans and you like to help and you like pizza and you don't like pizza but you still like to help, whatever, stay and help us. And we appreciate that. Father, we thank you again for this time. Jesus, we thank you that your word, uh, Lord, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, we know that uh, the only way that we're going to bear fruit is to abide in you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we abide in you, even this coming week, you'd make us more fruitful than we were yesterday and tomorrow than the day before. And so, Lord, uh, we know that's a process. We know that you can prune us different ways in different seasons. It can be a small circumstance or a big one. Lord, we pray that we would respond by knowing that all things work together for good, that those that are called according to his purpose. We pray, Lord, that you'd use us as lights and witnesses this week. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.